You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Let's pray before we begin. I know we do a lot of praying. You're like, wow, this church prays a lot. That's a good thing. I'll just say that again. That's a good thing. You know why? Because we don't pray enough on our own. So when we pray corporately, it's a good thing. And so let's take a moment and pray and ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, we just recognize today that, Lord, without your Holy Spirit to help us understand, a lot of this would just fly over our heads. So, Lord, we just pray, uh, give our, us the mind and the heart to understand, receive your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share a story with you that's found in the three Gospels, both in Matthew 18, Luke 18, and in our passage today, Mark 10. So we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, only three short verses with three short points that I want to just bring to your attention this morning. And it's the story about Jesus blessing the little children. In verse 13 of chapter 10 in Mark's gospel, it says this. It says, Then they brought the little children to him, him meaning Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Underline that part. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Then Jesus took them in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them. So Jesus is ministering. As you know, Jesus is kind of a big deal at this point in his ministry. People are coming to see him from miles around, mostly because of his teaching, which is unparalleled. He teaches with wisdom and authority, unlike anyone else at that point in time. So people are drawn to him. They're waiting to hear from him. Couple that with the miraculous miracles that he does, the miracles of healing, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, and people are lining up to, to interact with Jesus, to have Jesus pray for them, have Jesus meet with them, or just to hear Jesus talk. And so as you can imagine, his schedule is kind of busy. There's a lot of people that come to see him. And so some parents bring their children to see Jesus. They want to meet Jesus and all the parents really want Jesus to do is just to uh, be able to lay his hands on them and to bless them. They don't want anything fancy. They don't want anything uh, really complicated. All they want is that, Jesus, would you bless my son? Would you bless my daughter? And the disciples thought, Jesus doesn't have time for children right now. Jesus doesn't have time. The kingdom of God is for grown-ups. And grown-ups are busy, and we're doing grown-up things. We're casting out demons, and we're healing the sick, and we're changing the political landscape. We're changing our world. Jesus doesn't have time for children. And it says that Jesus got upset about that. He got upset at the fact that, there's, that someone else was trying to dictate his schedule. Someone else was trying to tell and, and to determine for Jesus what was important to him and what wasn't. Can I just tell you right now that that's one of the biggest makes, mistakes that you can ever make is to think that you can speak for God without consulting him first. Oh, Jesus doesn't want to be bothered with that. Really? Do you know that for a fact? Can you definitively say that that's not important to him? 
without consulting him and without asking him first. The disciples took that on themselves first. And so so there's some thoughts I want to share with you as we look at this passage, some things that come to mind. And number one, first and foremost, is this. When people bring someone to Jesus, get out of the way and get them to Jesus as quickly as possible. Once, if people want to meet Jesus, if they want to know the Jesus that you love and serve, then the best thing you can do is get out of the way and let them meet Jesus. Don't try and preempt things and say, well, Jesus is kind of like this, and if you don't talk to him this way or talk to him that way, he's not going to listen to you. Get out of the way and let them encounter Jesus. The disciples felt that Jesus was too busy for children. The kingdom of God doesn't have time for children, but their attitude was completely wrong. You ever been there when your attitude is completely wrong? Your wives or your husbands might lean over and say yes. But there are times where our attitudes are wrong. And they were acting more immature than the children were. They thought that Jesus didn't have time for children, and they were unimportant to the work he was doing. These disciples actively tried to keep the children from getting to Jesus, turning both parent and children away. But Jesus overhears this and tells the disciples to let them come. Jesus corrects the disciples' mistaken assumption. I'm thankful when God corrects my mistaken assumptions. Aren't you glad that God is so patient with you that when you're wrong, he will gently instruct and correct you and point you in the way that you need to go? I'm grateful that when I make mistakes and I have the wrong assumptions, Jesus doesn't say, you know what, you're out of here. I'm pulling you from the team. You're off. You're red-shirted. You're not going to roll with us anymore. I'm glad that God doesn't just have a cut list and it's football season, so you've got to cut that football roster down to 52 players or 53 players, and I'm glad that Jesus doesn't go, you know what, you don't make the cut. You're not on the team because you got it wrong. I'm grateful that the grace of God is greater than my mistakes. I'm grateful that the grace of God supersedes my own assumptions. I'm thankful when God points out when I'm wrong. Aren't you? It hurts, though. It's like, you, it's like you, when you try and impress your boss or you try and impress someone that you really admire, and they're like, no, you got that wrong. You're like, oh, man, I got it wrong. But he's willing to teach and instruct us in the way that we should go. The response to wrong thinking is sound teaching and gentle correction. Jesus' thoughts supersede our own idea about things. He doesn't think of things the way that we do, He wants us to think the way that he does and to see people the way that he does. Can I tell you something? If you didn't get this message from the moment you walked in today, that God passionately and madly loves you. He loves you so very much. I wish that you would understand the depths of love that he has for you. Not that you have to jump through a hoop or go through a religion or a denomination to somehow get his attention. God loved you before you were even born. God loved you before you even knew who he was. He died for you before you even existed. But he loved you first and foremost. And that's why he did it. Jesus thinks that children are just as important 
as adults are to the kingdom of God. Just because they can't serve, just because they can't tithe, just because they can't operate in gifts or, or do things or go out and evangelize, just because they might not seem to be able to do those things, it doesn't mean that they're unimportant to God's work and his plan for his kingdom. Our responsibility to the next generation doesn't end when our children are grown. My responsibility to the next generation doesn't end when my son and daughter are grown and they have their own children. And I guess I go, oh, you know what? I don't have any more responsibility to think about children or to take care of children or to raise up the next generation of children. Don't get me wrong or mistake me. I'm not having children with my wife in my 60s. That's not what I meant, okay? But I have a responsibility. You see, the responsibility of the church is not just paternal, it's spiritual. The responsibility of the church is not just paternal, it's spiritual. It's not that we get involved in church only when our kids are in church. Kind of like when we're involved with soccer, or we're kind of involved with camping or, or scouts, and when they're done, we kind of go, well, I don't have any more children, so children aren't important anymore. And that, my friend, is how churches die. It's not my kids. I don't need to worry about that. And churches grow older without a younger generation to pass the baton to and to carry the torch for the kingdom of God. We have a church full of massively passionate older folks for the Lord who have more fire in their bellies than most people half their age. But they need to pass that on to somebody else. Because we see a generation that loves God, has seen God do miraculous things, have seen God do powerful things, but this younger generation has yet to see it, has yet to believe it, has yet to lay hold of it. And we are at the forefront where we can lead them into that, to believe for the impossible, to believe for the miraculous. My mom, Janet Valeri, worked as a director for Children's Church for over 20 years, long after her kids were grown and out of church. Why? Why would you put yourself through that? Why would you willingly work with kids every Sunday in and Sunday out who are not your kids and they're kind of distracted and they're kind of frustrating at times and they don't always do what you planned and if you don't put a program on for them, they put a program on for you. So why would she do that? It's because she loved kids and she wanted them to know that Jesus loved them. They wanted, she wanted them to have an opportunity to know who God was. God wants us to raise up generations that will know him and follow him. Judges 2.10 says this, A generation grew up that knew not the Lord or what he had done for Israel. A generation grew up that knew not the Lord or what he had done for the nation of Israel. A whole generation of Israelites that followed the death of Joshua did not walk in God's ways, and they stumbled along the way. They failed to capture the promised land, and they did not become a nation until much, much later. It wasn't until King David came along that the people became united in reverence for the Lord, and the nation that God wanted to establish was established. If we fail to love and teach the younger generation the ways of the Lord, then the nation that we are in right now is going to be in tremendous trouble. If we fail to teach the next generation to love and to revere the Lord, our nation 
is going to be in trouble. And you might say, well, Pastor, the nation's already in trouble. It will get worse. It doesn't mean because things are bad. We go, ah, things are bad. Just let it burn. No, we say, let's raise up the next generation to counteract what we see happening in the world that we live in today. We need to love and reach out to children, ensuring that we are leaving a legacy that will outlast us. Faith and foundations that will go on long after we are dead and gone. Let me share a statistic with you. Adults who go to church as children are 61% more likely to attend church as adults than those who have no church background. Adults who went to church as children, 61% will attend it as adults. Barna Research had this study. It says, the study conducted by Barna Research found that roughly 7 out of 10 Americans, 71% had a period of time during their childhood when they regularly attended a Christian church. Apparently, old habits die hard. A majority of those who attended church as a youngster still attend regularly today, while a large majority of those who were not churchgoers as children are still absent from churches today, 78%. The next generation needs to be reached and given this opportunity. Let's just do a little survey here, okay? How many of you grew up in church? Raise your hand. Look around. Okay, put your hands down. What are we seeing there? We're seeing that as the younger generation has their beginnings in church, a foundation is laid that says this is important as I get older. And younger people, they may uh, get away from the church during their postgraduate high school and into their college years and their single years, but when they have a family, that's when they come back to God because they realize, "I I don't know what I'm doing. And I don't know how to raise things in the, people in the ways of God. So, you know, I went to church, so you go to church too, and so let's all go to church together. And what's happening is you're recreating a cycle in which the next generation deems church and God and the things of God as being important. Unless we love the next generation, not just ours, then we will never see kids that love Jesus become adults that love Jesus. Should have been an amen there. Secondly, the second point to this is that Jesus is never too busy for anyone. I want you to understand that. If if you come from a church background, great. If you never went to church and this is your first time here, wow, have you had an experience this morning. You've just like, you just dove into the deep end of the pool when it came to church today. It's like, listen to I've been to church. Church is supposed to be done in 40 minutes. We were supposed to be done like 15 minutes ago. Like, what's going on here at this church? But I'm sorry, but not sorry. Because when we come here and when we worship God, because we can experience the manifest presence of God when we come together and worship Him. When we worship Him and pay attention to Him, God is honored in it. It's not about us and what we get out of it. It's about Him receiving the honor and glory that's due His name. But Jesus is never too busy for anyone. No one is more sought after than Jesus. He spoke with wisdom, grace, and truth. People were always looking for him. Yet throughout the Gospels, I challenge you to read this. Look at the times that Jesus is just walking through towns or passing through crowds. And people are literally interrupting him on a regular basis. 
they're literally like whether it's blind Bartimaeus shouting out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And people are saying, shut up, blind man, he's busy. <laughs> Until Jesus says, who's that? Bring him here. And everyone's like, come on, come up, he's calling you. All of a sudden, the people who told him to shut up are all of a sudden right by his side, like, let's get close to Jesus. Can you imagine? To change our attitude and our mentality that we should never be in a place where, like, Jesus is too busy for the hurting. Jesus is too busy for the sick. Jesus is too busy for the trouble. Jesus is too busy for me because, you know, he's got so many things to do. He's got to keep the world, you know, spinning and turning, and he's got to worry about everybody else's lives. And maybe you've heard this one before. It's like, well, you know, my life is not as bad as somebody else's, so, like, I shouldn't really bother Jesus. I, I got news for you. He can handle it. Come on. He can handle it. He's not like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. Someone lighten my schedule. Someone lighten my load. I don't think I can handle Amy's problem and Karen's problem and Gary's problem all at the same time. I know I can't, but I know someone who can and is not overwhelmed, intimidated, or frightened by what you bring to him. You came in, you're like, oh, it's a yelling church. Okay, I get it. <laughs> you know, Jesus always took time to be interrupted, whether it was the man uh, who was born blind, whether it was lepers that wanted to be cleansed, whether it was people shouting out for him, or a demoniac that just kind of pops up in the middle of the synagogue. Jesus is just like, no biggie, let's take care of it right here, right now. And he took time for interruptions. Jesus was accessible to anyone who needed him. He didn't have handlers. He didn't have an entourage. He didn't have personal assistance. Jesus didn't need to be protected, sheltered, or handled. No one to manage a schedule or keep him from certain people. The disciples meant well, but Jesus didn't need that kind of help. The Lord always takes time with those who need him. He was not too busy for them then. And brother and sister, church, he's not too busy for you now. Yeah, but it's the end times and things are getting bad. He's not too busy for you right now because these are the times where you should look to him, times you should call upon the name of the Lord. Third observation, don't hinder anyone from coming to Jesus. Verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and don't forbid them for such is the kingdom of God. When we get in the way of people finding Jesus, no matter how good our intentions, it grieves the spirit of Jesus. We don't get to choose and handpick who comes to Jesus and how. We can't put conditions on unconditional love. I'm going to say that again. We can't put conditions on unconditional love. What do I mean by that? Well, change the way you dress and then you can come to church. That's a condition. Well, clean up your life and then come to church. That's a condition. Not realizing the fact that this is the exact place, hallelujah, that you need to be if you are messed up. You know why? Because it's a hospital for the hurting. It is a place to restore you. It is a place to get you in the, in, on the right path and walking with the Lord. This is where you should be. Not away from church. Not the Southwick Inn drinking what you did the day before away. You need to be here because God wants to meet with you right here right now we don't get to pick and choose we don't get to put conditions on unconditional love we all came to t jesus at different times in our lives because of the grace of god at work 
in our lives through the kindness of people. Someone probably introduced you to Jesus, whether it was a friend that invited you to church, to that yelling church on College Highway, and you came, and they, they did that 40 minutes of music, and then they had a guy yell at you for half an hour. Whether they invited you to the yelling church, someone brought you, or led you to Christ over coffee when you were going through a difficult time, or, 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 when you were a child in Sunday school and someone told you, Jesus loves me, this I know, and you said, yes, my heart understands, and I don't have to understand everything about this whole Jesus thing to believe and to trust and to come to him. We should never get in the way of what God is doing in someone's life. When it comes to Jesus, be a bringer and a broker, not a blockage or a barrier. What I mean by that is that one who arranges the meeting with Jesus, not the one that makes it more difficult to meeting him. It's like, yeah, you can come to him, but we're King James only. Yeah, but you can come to him, but we don't dress that way at that church. Yeah, you can come to him, but like, you know, you need to go through this class and you need to do these things. And believe me, we got membership classes and other things, but that's not how you get to be a Christian. That's not how you walk with Jesus. Okay? So we need to understand we're the ones to bring and arrange the meeting, not the one that stands in the way. That means not saying anything that would keep someone from finding Jesus. Don't do anything that would stand in the way of them getting to Jesus. Some of the things that we do will sometimes get us stuck. This is how we can determine whether or not we're a broker and a bridge builder or we're a barrier and a blockage. Sometimes we get stuck on things like arguing about denominations and doctrine. That is a a sidebar that will get you lost in the weeds and won't get them to Jesus. Arguing about politics and where you fall politically gets in the way of getting people to Jesus. Arguing about styles of dress and what kind of worship. And should you sing these sorts of songs? Should you sing hymns or should you sing choruses? Or should you sing songs by that band because that church is weird? Or should you not do these things? And we get caught up in everything else, but God is just saying, come to me and don't hinder them. Don't let anything get in between me and them. And I can almost hear the voice of Jesus saying, stop it. Stop doing that. I want to reach them. I want to get to them. I want to be where they are. I want them to be with me. And meanwhile, we're the guardians of the gate. Nope, nope, nope. You can't go any further because you're not ready yet for Jesus. Can you imagine the attitude that we would have? You're not ready to meet him yet. Why don't we let Jesus determine that? Get out of the way and let Jesus meet them as quickly as possible. We need to get out of the way of people meeting Jesus. Our opinions, our personality, our negativity, none of these things will ever lead people to Jesus. Jesus is the most compelling reason to believe. Everyone that met Jesus was drawn to him. They either loved him or hated him, but no one ever forgot him. Say what you want about Jesus is that Jesus drew people to him. That he, he couldn't go through life being unnoticed. So people were drawn to him. Either they loved him and thought he was the best thing ever, or they hated him and everything he stood for. But no one ever forgot who Jesus was. Can we just give them the opportunity to make that determination themselves and just arrange the meeting? Jesus removed the obstacles that the disciples put up. He overruled their well-meaning intervention, and he had the little children come to him.
Jesus not only showed how children were important to the kingdom, but also had a lesson for his disciples in verse 15. Let's take a look at this together. It says, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Basically, unless you receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you cannot even get into heaven. Pastor Chuck Swindoll explains it this way, quote, How does a child receive a gift? With openness, honesty, and unbridled joy. That type of happy authenticity should be the hallmark of our faith as we receive God's gift in Christ. He goes on to say, A young child is destitute of ambition, pride, and haughtiness, and there is a, therefore a good example for us. Children are humble and teachable, and they aren't prone to pride or hypocrisy, end quote. So a child doesn't approach things with skepticism and disbelief. They're very trusting and receptive. This is how one must receive the message of the gospel, with simple faith. But sometimes people can make it complicated. One, I'll give you an example. Example one. One of the obstacles that some believers have to believing in Jesus is they feel like they need to know everything there is to know about the Lord before they can believe him and accept him. Like they're doing research. Like you're buying a new dishwasher or a brand new car. And it's like, well, once I know everything there is to know, then I'll buy. But that's not how a relationship with Christ works. Everything is with Christ is not transactional. It's relational. It's not transactional. It's relational. It's a completely different approach. It's not about buying into Jesus. Well, once I know everything there is to know about him, then I'll buy into him. It's not about uh, that. It's not about you buying into a movement or philosophy. It's about getting to know the person of Jesus. What if you took the same approach to being someone's friend? Hey, listen, um, we've been talking. I, I say hello to you in the hallways. Um, and I'd like to be your friend, but please, first... Tell me everything there is to know about you to the minutest detail, and I need to know everything about you. And also, can you tell me how our friendship is going to be in the future? And once you do that, then I will feel like I am comfortable enough that I know you well enough that I can be your friend. Now, how silly does that sound? If Even if you talk to somebody like that, I'm like, get away from me, you psycho. I'm not telling you everything about my life. It's like I... No, I'm, this, I, I have good friends that don't know everything about me either, okay? You know, it's like, come on. It's like, that's ridiculous. God's not a dishwasher. God is not a car that you say, well, I've checked all the specs on this, and this is good. So I'm going to buy into this now. No, relationship's always about getting to know someone first. First you introduce yourself, then you become friends, then you get to know each other better, and that's where trust is built. That's where closeness develops. It begins with relationship. Everything in the Gospels is built on relationship. In Matthew 25, when Jesus sends uh, the people away, when he, in the, the parable of the sheep and the goats, those who were faithful to him and went on to God, their master's reward and glory, and those that didn't know who God was and were sent to condemnation, the words he says this, depart from me, I didn't know you. It's not like, wow, you're really smart. How much doctrine do you know? If, if you look at like the, the measuring stick that Jesus uses when it comes to like, okay, do I get in or not? He's not like, well, how many books have you read? How many studies have you been to? How many times, how many churches have you changed in? 
uh, you know, how many pastors have you been under? It's none of those things. It has less to do with what you know and everything to do with who you know. Do you know him or not? That's a simple question. Now, it's not to say that you shouldn't read, you shouldn't study, and you shouldn't be faithful in church. But that's not what God's looking at when you get to heaven. He's not like, all right, well, how many hours did you log at that church? Good news, you logged at least two today, so congratulations. So it's not the miles, it's the hours, like a tractor, right? You know, you're kind of just going through. So he's not looking at that. He's like, did, do you know me? Not do you know of me. Do you know me and do I know you? That relationship never begins unless you have faith like a little child. Have you ever watched a child make friends? It's really hilarious. They just walk up to someone and ask them to be their friend. Hey, can you be my friend? And that's just it. They're a friend. And they'll run up to you like six, eight years old. And they go, I got a new friend. What's their name? I don't know. They're my friend. My friend over there at the other side of the yard. That happened at Nate's graduation party. Like one of my, one of my little nephews is like, I got a new friend. What's their name? I don't know, but we're friends now because, like, I went up and just simply asked to be their friend, and I enjoyed being around them, and I enjoyed interacting with them. They, they speak first. Uh, you know, if they think about this, they are so open and trusting and loving. They meet a person, and immediately they're their friend. What a difference between childhood and adulthood. You know, we're, we're so, when we were kids, we were so willing to make friends. Now as adults, we don't want to be around anybody. Like, you see that thing, it's like, I, I like, I like maybe three people and my dog in my truck. You ever see that sign somewhere? You know, it's people, some people just don't like people. And the funny thing about it, too, is like we spend our childhood years in such a rush to grow up, then when we're older, we long for the nostalgia of what it was like to have friends and to hang out with people in the neighborhood. Like, oh, remember when we were little? Yeah, you were in a hurry to get older, and now this is what older looks like. Older looks like you're busy. You got responsibilities. You can't hang out with people as much as you used to. And you go, remember when we were all kids and we used to ride bikes in the neighborhood? You're 48. Stop talking about that. Please, you know. So, like, here's the idea. How about instead of longing for the past, we just recapture the spirit that we had when we were younger? What if we just welcomed everybody like Jesus did? What if we welcomed the Lord into our life like Jesus did? What if we took him at his word and just believed instead of going, I don't know about that, Jesus. Do you know what kind of world we're living in today? Are you sure you're coming back? Like, are you sure you can still do that today? Are miracles still for today? And we kind of go through this with this skepticism, this disbelief that when you tell a child, hey, listen, when they, you know, you say, okay, God's real. Jesus died for your sins. God can heal the sick. They're like, I believe that. Meanwhile, we're going, like, I don't know. I'm not so sure about that. There's a willingness and receptiveness that a child has that we don't. Jesus wants us to have a childlike faith. I should make a distinction here. A childlike faith and not a childish faith. Childish faith is when a Christian acts selfishly and immaturely. Childish faith is when they speak first and think later. Childish faith is when you're easily offended and then cause offenses, not even being aware that you are. Childish faith thinks they're smarter than everyone else, and they actually do not need to learn anything new. Childish faith is full of pride. Childish faith thinks, all I have, I have everything I need. But childlike faith is about trusting 
and believing what the Father tells them. Childlike faith is a faith that's willing to learn and be moldable and shapeable by a loving and patient guidance. Childlike faith says, I may not know much about the Bible, but I know that Jesus loves me. I know that I need him, and that's enough for me. Everything else gets added. We didn't all get real smart in the Bible all of a sudden. I didn't just pop out of the womb with knowledge of Scripture, you know, even though I went to, I went to church from conception pretty much. Like my mom carried me in church. Like under powerful preachers, I'm pretty sure I've heard it all my life, but I didn't just was born and all of a sudden started quoting Spurgeon. You know, it just didn't come out like that. So none of us were born into like all of a sudden this massive amount of knowledge and understanding. We came to Jesus. We recognized that we were lost without him. And we decided to follow after him. And that in our relationship with Jesus, he like a friend taught us what we needed to know. We walked with him. We told him our problems. He told us the solutions. And we walked with him and that's how we grew. That's how we got to where we are. Childlike faith. Some people might make excuses and say, I'm not ready. I don't know enough. I'm not where I need to be. Can I encourage you to get over that bump in the road? Jesus loves you right where you are right now, not some future version of yourself. Well, Jesus is going to love like the better me. And it's like you'll never get to the better you unless you embrace him right now. You'll never get to the better you unless you start walking with Jesus. He loves you right where you are right now. You can't change you. Only Jesus can change you. You need Jesus to help you bring about the change that you need. You can't do it yourself. You can't save yourself. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross for you. So I encourage you, if you're waiting, God's not a dishwasher. He's not a car. You don't, he's not complex. He, even though he is massively infinite and full of wisdom, and God, he doesn't come to you that way. He came to you as in the form of a man. He came to you expressing things in parables so they're easy to understand. Today, I encourage you, get over that bump of your own, like, reluctance. Move it out of the way and choose to follow Jesus today. As I wrap this up, remember... We've got to come to him like little children, but remember that Jesus actually loves children. Jesus likes children, and he loves children. Sometimes we're like when we hear a baby crying in, in the church, we're like, oh, a baby's crying in the church. Be glad there is a baby in the church, right? But Jesus not only loves children, he actually likes them too. Verse 16. So then Jesus took the children up in his arms, and he laid hands on them and blessed them. Think about that. Parents are bringing their children to Jesus. They have little ones, all different sizes. Maybe there's the teenager that one parent brought along with them. He's like, do I really have to go have them lay hands on me and, and bless me? And yeah, yeah, go ahead. Maybe there were the little ones that like, you know, couldn't quite get up on his lap, so they had to be helped up onto Jesus' lap. But imagine the picture of Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, deity in the flesh, sitting down on a stump somewhere, and just having little children just climb up into his lap, and he just lays hands on them and blesses them. What a powerful image that is. Those children, hear me, walked away from that encounter with a different impression of Jesus than what the disciples 
we're going to create in their minds. They didn't see a Jesus that was inaccessible or unapproachable, but they saw that's a Jesus that loves me and cares about me. That's a Jesus that laid his hands on me and prayed for me. That's a Jesus that is concerned about me. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.